Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Friday and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Launch Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. How is Friday going where you are? How is quarantine going for you? Mental health check-in. I think now we're finally to this phase in the quarantine where people have really accepted that this is what life is and that it's not going to go away anytime soon and that I think we kind of have to hunker down and, you know, act appropriately and respond and react and find a new normal. Speaking of a new normal, I read an article that was talking about how this is going to be a rebirth for so many things. And immediately what came to my mind was women's health, right? I was interviewed by a postpartum company here in Boston uh, called Sutians, and we talked about how this actually might be a really good turn of events for maternal health. And for me, at least, I have really high hopes that this is going to turn out positive in women's health. And one of those things is eating and drinking during labor. You're listening to another Friday free talk of the Birth Lounge podcast where I just kind of ramble on about the things that I think are important and not enough people are talking about. So today I want to dive into how hospital policies might not always match up with what the current research says and one of those places is eating and drinking in labor. In this episode, this is an IGTV that I pulled from Instagram and wanted to share it with you here on the podcast because it's good information and it breaks down why it is so, so important for you to be able to have access to food and drink during labor. All right, let's take a listen. Hello, hello, hello. It has been a minute since I hopped on here and I have great news. I'm actually talking about something that has popped up in my world, no lie, 20 times in the last week or so. And it frustrates me every time I hear it. So let's just go ahead and dive right in. And my notes are kind of right down here. So if you see me looking down, I'm just making sure that I have all the facts for you because this is crazy every single time I hear it. And that is not being able to eat in labor. You guys, you have to be able to eat in labor. And 
let's far let's first start with the stats right so in 2014 there was a study done and it showed that 80 percent of people did not eat during labor 60 percent of people did not drink during labor but when those people were given a choice they would have chosen 95 of them 95 percent of them would have chosen to eat and drink during labor you know why is this so crazy to me well first of all can you imagine going 40 hours imagine that you're a first time mom and we are being very lenient and can, you know, um, we're, we're very giving on the time that we're going to allow your birth. You could be looking at 40 hours. That is an insane amount of time to got, not have anything to eat or drink. Like, that's just crazy. Second is that your uterus is a muscle. And while there's not been any studies done, particularly on the uterine muscle, there have been um, like sports um, performance type studies and other muscle fatigue studies. And they show that carbohydrates in particular and water, duh, are crucial for muscle performance to avoid muscle fatigue and to avoid ketosis. And so, those are like the last things we really want to happen in labor. Now, it makes me think, runners, who are my runners out there? Who are my like long distance runners? Would you ever do a marathon, i.e. labor, without carb loading first or without having anything to sip on or drink or eat throughout that process? No, you wouldn't. So the idea that we might ask a laboring person to not have anything to eat or drink for umpteen hours while they push a baby out you guys you're gonna be doing like hard physical labor you're gonna need to refuel yourself it just blows my mind that we ask people to limit what they eat and drink now what is the fear well the fear is aspiration however that fear is widely widely blown out of proportion because it happens in less than one person it's actually point zero seven it is like crazy 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 rare you would have to have 1.4 million births to have one death due to aspiration due to having a full stomach now this only applies to general anesthesia as well so the thought is that if you have a full tummy and then for some reason you need to have general anesthesia for let's say a cesarean birth um the thought is that you might aspirate. Now, this rule was originally made in the 40s, I believe. Yes, 1940. And that is when cesarean births were pretty much all done by general anesthesia. Now in 2000, where's that study? 14, 2014, that showed that only 6% of cesareans are done by general anesthesia, meaning that we would put you completely to sleep. Most of them are going to be done by an epidural um, because most of the time, if you're needing a cesarean, you probably already have an epidural and there's no need to actually put you completely under general anesthesia. So not only is it super rare, but the likelihood that you need general anesthesia even for a c-section super 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 rare so contraindications to eating during labor now eclampsia and preeclampsia those both we don't want you to eat i couldn't find any hard hard research on why not i think it's because they have an increased risk of cesarean so it goes back to even if you do need a cesarean what is the likelihood that you are going to need general anesthesia and i think that is definitely a question that you can ask your provider and say is the thought with preeclampsia and eclampsia that I might need a c-section and if so what's the likelihood I'm going to need general anesthesia for that or is it more likely most likely that I'm going to have an epidural 
Another thing is being a plus size mama. So anyone who has a BMI of 40 plus, they're really going to restrict your um, your food intake or they're going to try at least. Um, I still think it's kind of wild. You are going to want to ask the question of, is this due to the fact that I have an increased risk of cesarean? And if so, what are the chances I'm going to have to have general anesthesia? If it is 6%, that is something to consider that you have a 94% chance, chance that you don't need anesthesia. Is it worth not having snacks and um, limiting your water intake throughout a 40-hour labor? That's what you have to think of. Um, and then one other thing is IV opioid use as pain management. So if you were to be getting um, morphine, that would be one that is going to knock you out of eating anything like that. Now, when you have an epidural, they're going to want you to limit your food and water intake as well. And you might even be put on what's it's called NPO and it, it means nothing by mouth. Um, or you might be able to like eat on ice chips or sip on some chicken broth. Usually you can't even have like jello and stuff. It really is dependent on who your nurse is at that time. Um, so there are a couple other countries that support this line of thinking that we actually should not res restrict uh, food consumption and water consumption during labor. And those include, first off, the WHO, the World Health Organization. So somebody who looks over all of the nations and <laughs> kind of chooses best practice. They say that we shouldn't restrict food and water. The UK agrees, Canada agrees, the American College of Nurse Midwives. So where ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, uh, kind of governs our medical, in a medical facility, so like your OBGYNs, your American College of Nurse Midwives is who is the governing body of midwives. And so they are essentially equal. They are, you know, governing bodies. One just governs surgeons, which is an OBGYN, and one governs midwives, which is your midwives. Um, but all of those organizations and countries support giving birthing people food and water kind of freely. They understand the benefits of that. So the question always is what gives, right? Like why are, why does all the research say that we should actually not restrict food and water intake during labor, but we have so many doctors who are saying you can't eat and drink during labor and or they try and sell it as a positive, like we let you eat and drink during labor. Well, holy moly, I would hope so. I'm about to be laboring for 40 hours. Like I kind of would hope you would let me eat and drink, right? Also, don't forget, you're allowed to do anything that you want. You are the boss here. You, you, you call the shots. That's kind of how medicine in America works. But the reason is these policies, this research is new in the last 10, 15, 20 years. And so what has happened is hospital policies haven't caught up. Hospital policies are not going to be something that are rewritten yearly. Um, Big hospital, big hospitals are not going to have not only the manpower, but the time, the money, the resources to rewrite policies and update them every single year. And so what we're seeing is that lag. And we know that in the medical community, it kind of takes usually roughly 20 years for research to prove something and then for us to see it as a trend. Um, so a good example of this is going to be skin to skin, right? Skin to skin was really discovered as a huge benefit 
15, 20 years ago, and we're just now seeing it as a trend of people kind of coming to the knowledge and understanding that it is something that you should advocate for and that it has nothing but good benefits. There's no downfalls to um, skin to skin. This is kind of the same thing. So ACOG has not quite caught up yet. Um, however, they have in the past couple years, 2014, 2016, 2017, retracted some statements and they have put out a general consensus saying that there is insufficient evidence showing um, that it is neither safe nor dangerous to eat and drink during labor. They are having a really, really hard time hopping on board with these other countries and the World Health Organization's recommendations of not. Now, what they have said, and I want to read this to you, is that the highest stressor in labor is generally not being able to eat or drink, and the birthing person gets to choose, and that is the basic right. Um, now, you want to weigh low versus high risk with your doctor that's going to be a question for your doctor is your reasons for being deemed high risk are those going to impact you eating and drinking and then the last thing I want to tell you is that if you decide to go against uh, hospital policy which you absolutely have that right if you feel like eating and drinking during a labor i.e. a marathon is right for you I encourage you to definitely listen to your body you would hate to run out of steam run out of fuel at hour 18 and really just six hours later you would be pushing your baby out but you haven't eaten and drinking and you haven't eaten or drank anything and you run out of steam, right? That's gonna be, that's really hard. And you don't wanna get yourself into that predicament. So what I do encourage you to do is if you do eat, you do need to tell your doctor that. You need to tell, well, at least your nurse, not necessarily your doctor, they're not gonna be in and out as often as your nurse, but you do have to tell your medical provider. It's not something you need to hide. Um, your medical provider should understand. They should know to be honest, what the research says and that the research shows you should eat and drink during labor and worst comes to worst, they just have you sign saying that you understand that you're going against hospital policy, but you are essentially going with the research. Um, don't keep it a secret because if anything happens that you do need to have pain relief, um, something greater than, um, you know, if you need to have an epidural, if you need to have something greater than like nitrous oxide or, you know, hot water or physical pain relief, things like that, Nuvane, you're going to have to tell your nurse because they do need to know what's in their tummy, in your tummy, not only for reasons of aspiration, just to keep an eye on it, even though it's super rare, um, but also for dosing. So it's kind of like drinking. If you have a full tummy, you're probably going to need a little bit more drink. If you have an empty stomach, things are going to hit you a lot faster. They're going to hit you a lot more intense. And so you don't want your nurse thinking that you are working off of an empty belly when in reality you have a full belly. And opposite to you don't want your nurse to think that you've eaten a lot and instead um, you've not eaten anything and your belly is empty. So make sure that you're keeping your nurse up to date of what you're doing and the choices that you're making, but please know that the research supports that you eat and drink during labor. Um, and so do a bunch of organizations and other countries understand the benefit as well. I think that it's something definitely worth talking to your doctor about. Um, if you're super concerned and if you're not super concerned, um, make sure that in the lounge you go through and look at my recommendations for snacks because you're gonna want a lot of snacks during labor. All right, all right, all right. What did you think about that? Aren't those interesting numbers? Very, very interesting stats. And even more interesting that 
so many times we see hospital policies mismatched with what the research says. You know, I think it's super important to remember that your uterus is a muscle and in order to do a big marathon life labor, it needs fuel and that's carbs and that's hydration. And sometimes that also means rest. And so if you are looking for a way to prepare for your birth, especially now when you need it more than anything, I'm teaching you how to really channel your inner doula. I'm teaching you how to be your own doula, how to have a doula in your pocket. Literally, there's an app for the birth lounge. Now, the birth lounge is my monthly membership, and I teach women how to confidently navigate pregnancy and plan for their childbirth. This is evidence-based and research-based information and education so that you can make informed decisions about your birth so that you can control the environment, control the choices, and control your mindset. And that way you can have your ideal labor. All right, friends, thanks so much for tuning in today. Happy, happy Friday. You're headed into the weekend, and I will see you next Tuesday. And remember, if you find yourself in a predicament, just ask yourself, what would he, he do? Hey there. Before you go, I wanted to tell you who made today's episode possible. Today's episode is brought to you by Thinks Underwear. Ah, it's time for your period again, and what are you doing to manage your period? In 2017, I had a horrendous experience with an IUD that grew into my cervix, and if that sounds traumatic to you, well, it was, and through this experience, I was forced to totally rethink the way I manage my bleeding each month. I found Things Underwear, and to say they changed my life is a complete understatement. After the repercussions of the misplaced IUD, Things gave me control again. I started off with just one pair because who the heck knew if these things weren't, but it didn't take very long before I had 10 pair of underwear. Who needs 10 pair of period underwear? I don't know, but I love them all so much. For new parents out there, I cannot think of a better way to manage your postpartum bleeding than the high-waisted or the think super. I don't want to be the one to break it to you, but the first postpartum period can sometimes be a doozy and thinks can help. Thinks last up to two years, so they are great for our environment. They are also so easy to clean, plus they have a special lining to prevent any odor. They are no more effort than a regular load of laundry to clean. You can see how I care for my Thinks over on my Instagram highlights. Thinks has shared uh, $10 off of your first pair. It's a link, and I'm going to read it out to you, but you can also find it in the show notes. It's shethinks with an X dot com backslash pages backslash leader hyphen he he hyphen steward. And that's S T E W A R T. So you can visit that link, or you can visit that link in the show notes to save $10. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. And oh, if you're wondering what my favorite styles are, I love the sport, I love the thong, and I love the high-waisted. That's my period trio, and I could not live without them each month. I'm so excited for you to try yours. Nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. As always, please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. 
Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hee and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community, and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.